Welcome to the Start Something Show. Join world-renowned experts, change agents, and everyday folks who have done the amazing. All here to help you start something incredible. Now it's time to step out, live your perfect day, and create a legacy with your host, Tina Dietz. Hey, Superstarters. This is Tina Dietz, and welcome back to the Backstage Pass. Today, we're welcoming back Sharon McGrill from the Betty Brigade. Sharon and her team of 12 Bettys perform such projects as moving coordination, organizing, and on and on and on. We're going to talk about all kinds of things today around organizing, um, how to become more productive, and also, you know, business growth topics because Sharon is a wealth of knowledge and experience. Sharon, thank you for joining me on the Backstage Pass. Excited to be here. This Thanks, is cool. Tina. This is very, very cool. So we, uh, you and I had been talking about the, the growth of your business and the, and the changes that you've gone through. And in the 13 years since you've started this, this business, you have had to change names of your business. You've gone from being a solo operation to now employing about a dozen people. And you're really well known in this Ann Arbor, Detroit area of Michigan. Um, and, and I know the thought has, I'm sure has crossed your mind about franchising and you've explored this area. What is your thoughts on expanding a business and whether someone should consider franchising their business or not? Well, I was always going to franchise. Right from the beginning, it was in my mind that this was a franchisable idea and that it could be duplicated and just putting it out there of franchising, like relocation and franchising organizing, it's still a good idea to me. However, it is no longer a good idea for me. Um, so uh, the transition for, for me actually came when I started really looking at um, the barriers to franchising. And franchising is a very expensive and complicated and legally intensive endeavor. Your, your business has to be very ready uh, to share a lot of information and to have a lot of financial resources in order to make this happen, or you have to give up control of your company and let somebody else finance it um, so that the franchising can happen. And so I was unwilling to give up the the control. Um, I did get an offer that someone wanted to buy my company and I would have 20% and they would have 80%, which uh, didn't sit well with me. <laughs> uh, the other part of this was that I really started thinking about, and one of my coaches uh, talked to me about this is what does it look like? What does your life look like when you're franchised? And I just kept thinking about how busy I was now and how I would get even busier and I didn't necessarily want to be busier than the 70 hours a week I'm working now. That's a lot of hours. And it is a lot of hours. And we are in our peak season. So let me let me say that, that we're, we're in our busiest time of year. And imagine being in your busiest time of year 12 months a year. The money and the cash flow is great, but you can't sustain that. You, as a as a human being, you can't sustain that. You need breaks. You need you know systems in place that that can help you maintain that that high level of productivity. And um, and what I decided to do was just get bigger within Michigan. And 
Um, and that's really the route that I've decided to take on a very in a very conscious decision so that and, and interestingly enough, as soon as I made that decision, we of course got busier. And so <laughs> um, so it, it's been it's been an interesting journey because it felt like I just kept um, wanting to franchise and wanting to franchise. I kept talking about it and moving toward it. And it didn't mean that any of the any of the processes or systems that we put in place that much smaller businesses like us, you know, small businesses don't normally have these processes in place. So that's good. We have an operations manual. We have a training manual. We have an employee manual. We have all of these things that, that many small businesses don't have because we were prepping for franchising. However, I just don't think we're going to go down that path. And it doesn't mean that we will never go down that path. It just means that probably for the next five years, that's not the, that's not what I'm looking for. So um, I do have some things that I'm working on that I cannot legally talk about. Um, but the expansion is in Michigan is definitely taking place. And that's really a powerful decision to make. So you get so clear that you know where you're headed for the next five years. You have these chunks of you know time for, for planning your business. And now that you have set that aside because you did all that homework on it, now you know where you need to go. And, and not for nothing, but having an operations manual and all of those other things is so valuable, especially at the stage of growth that your business is at with, with the number of employees you have and everything. Yes. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Now, for you personally as a business owner, what what do you foresee as kind of your your ultimate thoughts on I hate to use the term end game, but I can't think of another term right now. Like do you imagine that someday you'd love to sell this? Do you imagine that you'll have somebody else take over it or are you just going to betty it till the end of time? Oh, I have visions of Hawaii. <laughs> so, so, um, so definitely there will be a sale in the future. Um, and definitely there will be, um, a, a passing of the torch and, and I'm expecting that to happen within the next 10 years. Uh, that's really what I'm gearing towards. And, and even the growth in Michigan is leading me towards that because it will make the business stronger and more viable and actually much, much more purchasable. Um, so that's kind of exciting, uh, to, to add this new component that fits in perfectly with what we're already doing. So, um, so that's, that's the plan. And yes, there is an end game. And yes, uh, there is definitely and and I'm actually working on that end game now. So it's 10 years away or less, hopefully. And I'm working on that now with my CFO, so that we're making those plans so that when, when that buyer comes, or when that opportunity presents itself, we've got most of our ducks in a row that it's not going to take us completely by surprise because when somebody walks up to you and says, I'd like to buy your business, you have to be ready to say, okay, here's the valuation. And this is the kind of payment terms I want. And this is, I think so important. I want to point something out to our, our tribe here, our super starters, and that you are planning for something 10 years out and all this growth that you have been having, I would directly link and tell me if you agree that a lot of the, the planning and strategy you've had about growing your business has actually led to 
growth now, not just growth in the future. So many people are afraid to take the time or put the energy into doing the strategy that is longer term. But I think what you're giving us here is a good example how putting the time and energy into that actually changes what you're doing now and results in more business. It absolutely does. And where it refocused us was around more corporate clients. And you know, it's interesting because I came out of corporate life and now I'm putting my business back into corporate life because that's where we're finding it is most profitable for us. There isn't the kind of price sensitivity from the clientele um, when we're working with uh, a CPA firm or a law firm or um, or a trust group because they just say, well, of course, this needs to be done and we're going to pay for it. So you offer services that these companies need and want already. And yep. uh, do you find that in the market that you're in and the, and the types of services that you're providing, that there's um, an enormous amount of competition or is it, is it uh, pretty niche? There, there is some competition. Um, it's, it is pretty niche, but there is some competition and the competition does it differently than us. And so that's the good news is that there, there are choices and, uh, and these folks can make their choices. Um, interestingly enough, the, the competition hasn't figured out yet where I'm going with my plan. So I'm already probably a year and a half or two years ahead of them in terms of putting myself in front of the kind of clients that, that they will eventually want, but they don't have yet. In the, in the so, realm of corporate. In the realm of corporate. And so, so that's where um, it's really helped have a vision and have a plan because knowing who to go and, and, build relationships with. And I'm not talking about just trying to get a sale because getting a sale, anybody can get a sale. Um, it's about building the relationship with a company. Do we have time for a story? Absolutely. Okay. So here's a story. We were working with a, a company, um, a trust group, a large national trust group that was, that had a pretty big office in Detroit. And um, one of the people who was managing the trust um, we'll call her, we'll just call her Sue, um, for a generic name. And Sue, um, got fired by her boss. And I knew that she did a really good job when she was working with us. And so I reached out to her and said, Hey Sue, um, you know, I, I recognize that you're no longer with this company and I work with a lot of trust groups. So, um, if you want, send me your resume. And she said, okay. And so she sent me a resume and I sent it out to some attorneys that I work with that I thought she might be a good fit for. Well, I didn't end up getting her a job, but she did end up at another very large trust group, uh, much bigger than the one she was working for originally. And she brought my company in as a resource to that bigger company. And now we have a huge account with them. And um, that wouldn't have happened if I had not taken the time to just be a human and build that relationship and, and show a little kindness to this woman who had just gotten fired. Um, so, and, and I know that she will be my fan forever because I did that. And it wasn't 
it wasn't for selfish reasons. It was, you know, hey, you need to find a job. You've got two little kids. But but the point of it being that it ended up being a much bigger deal for my company and for myself than I ever anticipated. Exactly. And we know that our relationships are the lifeblood of our business, but there's no way we can strategize the end game on that because it involves too many factors being human, but it always does come back around to serve us one way or another. That's a great story. It's a really Thanks. great story. You know, I was thinking about you working with, uh, you know, estates that are being liquidated or corporations that are moving from one side to another, or even people downsizing as is happening a lot right now with folks who want to live simpler or, um, have space, even things like the tiny house movement, uh, where people are, are having less stuff. In your experience, when people are cleaning things out or liquidating an estate, any any circumstance where you are letting a bunch of stuff go, what happens to all that stuff? And, and how do you make good decisions around what to keep and what to let go of? Well, that's a really interesting question. And this is kind of where our expertise sits is um, that there is actually a food chain of stuff. Okay, so remember the picture of like the the little fish get, getting eaten by the medium-sized yes. fish, getting eaten by the bigger fish? Well, that's kind of how I think of the stuff. Like at the top rung, there are the high-end estate sellers. And so, for example, think of Sotheby's in New York. Okay, okay Sotheby, Sotheby's is a, is a world-renowned auction house. And we have actually sold things for our clients through Sotheby's, uh, through their Detroit office. And um, there are a couple other um, high-end estate sellers or, or auction services in Detroit. Um, the next rung down from that are what um, I would refer to as our regular estate sellers or regular um, antique dealers. And it doesn't mean that they don't have some fine antiques. It just means that they have like there might be a small nick or like a drawer doesn't quite close properly or you know it's not in 100% pristine condition it's it's lovely it's very very nice but it's not perfect that's the next rung down the ru next rung down from that are are the consignment dealers and the consignment dealers are a fairly wide swath of people um Consignment can consist of all different kinds of things. It can consist of eBay resellers, and there are a lot of them out there. Um, we actually work with an eBay store that it, it has an actual storefront where we take things. But we also work with some other storefronts um, that do consignment. And typically a consignment dealer takes anywhere between, um, I would say between 25 and 35% is pretty much the standard but there are times when they take less, like if they're selling a car or a house, or times where they take more um, if something is um, a particularly odd item to sell and they're having a hard time selling it. So, um, so there's, there's, you know, that's just a, a, it's kind of a variable, but pretty much if you stick in the 25 to 35 percent range, that's fairly standard in terms of selling stuff. Um, the next rung down from from those folks uh, are the donation services. So if it doesn't sell at consignment and if it doesn't sell 
uh, on eBay, then it really should be donated because chances are it's not that valuable. So let it go to a donation center where somebody really finds a treasure. You get to take the full tax write-off and the item still leaves your home and it still goes to somebody who really wants it. So everybody wins in that case. The next level down from that are things that should be recycled or are trash or are damaged and really cannot be donated. So, so we've talked about, you know, all these different levels from very fine antiques to, you know, pretty damaged stuff that either needs to be repaired or put in the, in the, in the trash. So it's about looking at where does that item fit and sentiment gets in the way of a lot of that for a lot of people. So they say, Oh, this is a really valuable blah, blah, blah. And you look at it and you say, well, there's water rings on it and it looks like some kind of animal chewed the leg and, um, Yes, it's still an okay piece of furniture, but the valuation drops because the eye of the beholder is a little bit different. Like we as an outside person are looking at things and seeing it from a different perspective. You're taking off the veneer of the emotional attachment. Exactly. Yeah. Now, that being, that being said, there are lots of times when we walk into people's homes and they think things are of little or no value. And those are the things that actually sell. Uh, you have any stories about that? Um, well, we were in, we were in, it was actually a, one of the real estate agents house. Um, her father-in-law died and the house had been sitting vacant for a year and the family still hadn't done anything about it. And the agent said, look, let's just get this company in here to liquidate it. And so we can get the house on the market and sell it because we're paying property taxes, we're paying utilities, we're paying insurance on an empty house. And so there's a cost to that, too. Absolutely. Uh, so what they they brought us in and there was this what looked like a plastic long necked ukulele, like the, the neck was maybe two feet long, maybe maybe even longer. And it was kind of this yellowish plastic with an orange back. And I trained my staff not to not to know what the value of things are, but to recognize things as being, wow, that's different enough. I need to check with one of our sellers. And um, just to have things catch their eyes so that they know, oh, that's that's something. And um and that's what we did with it. We set it to the side and let one of our, uh, we let our eBay reseller take a look at it. And this weird little plastic looking ukulele sold for $300 on eBay. Um, and the the homeowner um, or the, the real estate agent, she just said, we would never have known that. It was some kind put, of collectible item. Yeah. We, she funny. said we, we would have put that in the trash and not, not have thought anything of it. Wow. So this goes back to what you were saying in uh, in your episode of the Start Something show about one of the things you've learned as a business owner is to make sure that you're working 
inside of what you're really good at and to just pay people for for the things that that you're not you I think you used a great example of a plumber who if you're if your sink is spouting water you can kind of google how to fix it yourself and try to figure out spend several hours doing that or you can go to the plumber next door and pay him to fix it in 5 minutes you know Right. Yeah, exactly. So same 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 kind of thing is looking for special and that made and I'm sure there's a bunch of those examples that hiring, you know, an organizer hiring someone like you as a transition specialist, your company makes people back not just the money would make a lot more money than they normally would, but also saves them so much time. I can't yes. imagine liquidating a house like that. I mean, when I liquidated my own, when we moved, to, we sold our home and moved to Costa Rica. Um, you know, I knew we didn't have much in the way of, of high end items. And the, the few things that I did, I put into storage. But you know, we basically furnished out somebody's one bedroom apartment for them who was coming out of a kind of a halfway house, a women's shelter with a bunch of stuff in our house and sold a bunch of stuff on, on Craigslist. But oh my goodness, the amount of time that it took, by the time we got to the end of it, there was so much we left behind in terms of donating or throwing out um, that that may have, you know, brought us anywhere from another 500 to to 1000 dollars if we had had the time to to work mm-hmm. with it. And right. uh, I can <laughs> I'm a little sad you're not franchising to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm never saying never. never I'm saying just never. saying I'm just saying that the next 5 year plan does not have franchising in it. Got it. Very good. Well, and I do love Ann Arbor. We have talked about that. So I know, I, you know need to come here. I love Ann Arbor. It's such a great town. A great great town. Okay. So superstars to recap, uh lots and lots of great information on getting more organized on how to really leverage your time and look at what you're good at, what you're not, how to make good business decisions, taking that long-term view and making the strategy and plan for 10 years out, five years out, rather than just having your blinders on so you can't see the forest for the trees. You can see the example here with the Betty Brigade from what Sharon's telling you. It really pays off on how you focus your business uh, if you take that long-term view. Sharon, um, so our super starters can take some action steps this week. What are some a couple of two, three action steps folks could take uh, in the next week to help become more productive and more organized in their life or business? Well, the first thing that you can do is just really prioritize your time. Um, <laughs> for example, uh, I try, it doesn't always work out this way, but I try and only meet with clients on Thursdays and Fridays. And that's for a specific reason. So Thursdays and Fridays are the days that we do uh, we do our manager's meeting in the office and we also do our staff meeting. So we start out the day nice and clean. And um, if you can imagine, organizing is kind of a dirty, not so glamorous job. Yes. And um, it's, it's not how they make it on TV. And, um, and so if you can, if we if we plan on seeing our clients immediately after our staff meeting, then we're nice and clean and fresh and, and look good. And so we try and see them most often then. Um, it doesn't mean that sometimes clients can only, you know, they can only meet with us at the end of a long, dirty day. That's fine. But, but we're trying 
to say Thursdays and Fridays are our client meeting days so that we know that Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday are, are set aside for working with clients and we're not going to be having additional meetings. Uh, we're not going to be having other client stuff in those days. And it actually kind of helps your head to know, oh, okay, I don't have extra stuff to do on this day. That does. I mean, any day that you don't have to put on makeup for me is a good day. <laughs> and I can't even imagine working all day in a dirty and then having to try to meet with the potential clients or new clients and switching gears like that. That That's a great productivity tip right there. Uh, now, uh, and last question, Sharon, because I love talking with you and you've, you're just such so much experience and knowledge uh, and for being a a business that has come through everything that's happened with the Detroit area. That's something we didn't even talk about. Like you started this business and grew this business inside of a city's an area where the downturn was enormous during that time period. Um, and that says a lot about uh, tenacity as far as I'm concerned and you just being uh, a, a pretty unreasonable person in the best sense of the word. Uh, so I appreciate that about you. <laughs> Tenacity or stupidity, whatever you want to call it. I don't know. Apparently, I just really like banging my head against a brick well, wall. Well, I'm the same way, so I'm going to call it tenacity to save my own ego. But okay. uh, <laughs> but finally, what what's a legacy you'd like to leave in this world? Um, hmm, I've never thought about that. I, I Really, honestly, I've never thought about that. That's the first time somebody's ever asked me that question. Uh and I think it would probably be that I made people's lives simpler, that I really just made life easier for the people that we came into contact with. Mm. And you're already well on your way to doing that for many, 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 many people and organizations. So thank you for the work that you do and for coming on the Backstage Pass today. Well, thanks for having me. This was really fun. It was great. Thank you, Sharon. And Superstarters, go out there this week. Take action steps. You have your mission. You have your steps. And we'll see you next week on the Backstage Pass of the Start Something Show. <laughs>